small big wins, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about a guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hvj.coach. Our guest today is Mayur Shetty, the CEO of BlackFrog Technologies, which was founded by three friends, Mayur, Don, and Ashlesh. The foundational thought and idea behind is to make India a safe place to live in through uncompromising and indigenous manufacturing and delivering value to healthcare partners, thereby kickstarting a culture of employment creation. BlackFrog's first product, the Embolio, a patented rapid cooling technology for safe last mile transport of vaccines, breast milk, blood serums, medications, and specimens with minimal freeze thaw cycles ticks all the boxes for their mission and approach. It addressed an extremely critical gap in the last mile cold chain vaccine delivery system. This device will reduce the economic burden of wasted vaccines and optimize human resources in vaccine delivery. Mayur and his co-founders say that innovation for its own sake does not excite them. They believe innovation must help fix significant problems in the material world. Here, we would like to unearth those moments of his life and his career which have brought him where he is. Mayur, welcome to Small Big Wins. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harsh. Great. Mayur, innovation for its own sake does not excite you. Mm-hmm. It should solve real-world problems. Right. So was this thought there even before the development of Mvolio or it came after the development of Mvolio? Uh, I would say it led to the development of Mvolio. Prior to that, we probably weren't doing that. We were working on a lot of projects where uh, we were working on innovation for the sake of innovation. So we started off as an engineering design and consultancy firm back in 2015. So we were working on a lot of product development projects back in the day. And uh, at a point, we realized that these problems are minuscule. How large companies operate in a way where you add a tiny sensor at the end of a tool that is used in surgery and you look at incremental advancement in technology, right? So that's something we didn't want to do. And that's the reason we got into public health. So just to give you a context, we've been beating our head against the wall on vaccine wastage for over three years now. It's only COVID-19 that has opened everybody's eyes into the problems of vaccine wastage and the importance of vaccine. So when we took it up back in the day, it was a huge problem. But public health is something that is not too glamorous. It's too boring. There's no money in it. There's no uh, investment or interest from the uh, investors either. Nevertheless, we took it up because it was a huge problem. It was not a new problem. WHO had addressed cold chain issues in the last mile over 20 years ago. There have been over 100 plus projects attempting to solve it. And we just happened to be in the right place at the right time on multiple occasions to be able to solve this problem. So coming back to innovation for the sake of innovation, I would say that we've seen this problem on the ground. We saw the kind of issues that poor immunization cold chain was causing. And we knew that we had to do this. This was not a healthcare problem. This was a logistical problem that could be solved with technology and engineering. And we as a founding team, our background is engineering. We're very strong with design and development. We knew that 
if anybody is got to take a shot at this it could be us that was the beginning of emolio what was the exact moment that this problem came to you or you reached this problem early 2016 i, I was having tea with one of my very close advisors dr arun chanbag so he had just moved back from the us he was the principal of innovation at harvard and he had just moved back to my alma mater and i had finished my graduation we were into black frog road two years working on smaller projects and we were just catching tea at that point he had just moved back from the us so he was telling me about this anganwadi worker who came home to immunize his daughter the pulse polio campaign was going on back at, at that point so he just told me how the anm the healthcare worker got the polio drops in a thermos flask with ice cubes in them and when she opened the flask the ice cubes had all melted and there was just water seeping out of it so this is a kind of terrible cold chain practice we would still follow and an advisor saw this he was like i'm okay like maybe let's not get this vaccine let's get it from somewhere else this is a huge problem because there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy even today you see so many conspiracy theories and just people saying are vaccines really safe should we really be getting the vaccine and there's so much of uh, hesitancy right so problems like this kind of pour gasoline on that fire and and he suggested that this is a huge problem and this is something maybe you guys should look at so when i did a little bit of background search on this i found why is this not solved why do we use this rudimentary ice boxes or frozen gel packs in plastic containers this is what you use for transporting fish and other perishable goods we've been doing this for 100 years and vaccines very valuable resource right why are we still doing this when we did a little bit of background study on this we found out that this is kind of an engineering problem this is a thermodynamic creating that energy efficiency with the existing refrigeration mechanisms and that's how we got into it we we, we were working on mechanical product development for over 2 years and we had a strong background in this we created a proposal on how we can solve this particular problem and we applied for funding and government of india they were very empathetic to the problem and they gave us the benefit of doubt on this project and that's how things rolled and 3 years later we have a patented system that is actually live in five states in india right now and we are delivering efficacious vaccines at the right temperature to the farthest corners all three of you come from different branches of engineering what are those branches yeah, so i'm actually an automobile engineer so a little bit of refrigeration and combustion what helped me start the refrigeration aspect of the portable medical grade refrigeration system but slowly it became more of an embedded and electronic challenge optimizing the control system and things that's where ashlesh comes in okay. ashlesh is an electronics engineer and donson is a mechanical engineer he heads operations so he's got a very fine mind for the finances and people management our entire team is run by donson and i handle the business development aspects now post our engineering byrak actually funded a fellowship for me to attend entrepreneurship studies at cambridge and i attended a few more programs in similar lines and yeah i'm completely away from engineering and automobile engineering specifically and i'm into commercialization of the tech now when you passed out there must have been a great possibility of you getting into some nice jobs lucrative placements peer pressure what prompted you to not go that route ah this is a sensitive question so yeah i did get placed at an id company and my parents were overly thrilled about me taking up that job and my dad is a professor at the engineering college that i studied in so he was very excited about it and he was very disappointed when he found out that i was not going to take it up so one of the reasons is that 
coastal karnataka has a little bit of a brain drain issue and dakshin kannada the, the two districts in the coast we have some of the finest minds in terms of science and technology education we're always the number 1 or number 2 in the state in terms of 10th and 12th education but once you do your engineering once you do, finish your studies everybody flocks to bangalore there's almost no job opportunities here uh, very highly agriculture and fisheries dependent economy here so that's that's been our reason to stay back we want to fix that we want to bring manufacturing and uh, technology business in this region and that's the reason that we wanted to stay back and take up this line of work we had multiple opportunities we were called by the iit madras incubator as well at a point uh, where things seemed very gloomy in here and nothing was moving but we didn't and i'm i'm so very glad that we didn't make that shift i would say that's the biggest reason that we stayed back but yes it was a huge challenge because it's it, all of my dad's colleagues also have the kids studying in the same college and everybody gets into placement and then you move away and and almost 2 3 years after we started the company there was almost no revenue i'm at home i'm having food i leave in the morning and then i come back i have nothing to show for it so that was a little tough for for a while so it got a little okay once we had the product ready and then people were using it and once we were part of the covid-19 mitigation it eased matters so things are a little okay so to speak but then yeah i still occasionally get the question of yes sir tk but like when are you finding a real job i i don't think that's ever going to go away this solving or attending to the brain drain problem yeah. or to the last mile delivery problem of vaccines getting the prompt from that pulse polio campaign so this inner calling how did this come about what influences in your life in your growing up have made you sensitive towards them whereas you see a lot of insensitivity to that subject all around you yeah so my uh, one of the biggest inspirations in my life is my grandfather he is a air force veteran and then he started a coach building factory in manipal like a bus coach building factory and that's pretty much where i spent all of my childhood i would love going there i would sit in the driver's seat and i would just look around how the coach is being manufactured that's the reason i got into automobile engineering i was overly fascinated by how things work in the background like magic right like those old city buses where you sit in the front next to the driver and he moves the gear lever and things happen and you don't know what's behind that box right there's a huge engine and gearbox you you have no idea what goes on underneath and that was the sole reason to join engineering and my dad is mechanical engineer and mechanical engineers have a thing of like a superiority complex that automobile and industrial production and all other branches are not as cool or not as fancy or you don't have the same kind of job prospects so my dad again was very upset that i did not take up mechanical engineering and i was so stubborn to take up automobile engineering itself and the only reason was i wanted to find out what happens in the background of a particular bus and and i spent most of my engineering just understanding what happens on the background that at a point i just felt like now it's time i stop trying to learn more things but make things of my own that hopefully somebody will want to open up and figure out what goes on underneath so creating and troubleshooting engineering systems is what uh, led me down this path uh, that's the reason we got into engineering design as a company i knew that there was no way i could even if rnd positions are very hard to come by in india with a large firm but i know even if i did find one i would not be working end to end on the product development if you're in a large company you just going to focus on maybe if you're building a bus you probably going to work on just the ecu or the seat manufacturing or something that way 
I wanted to make something from scratch and that works and somebody is going to use it at the end and tell me they're happy about using this. Like baking or making food, but from an engineering standpoint. So that's what led me down this path of technology entrepreneurship. And the courage to follow that inner calling, not take a job and slog it out for three years. Where did that come from, that courage to take the leap? How did you bring that obstinacy in you? I think there's two aspects to that. The first is just stupid bravery. More, 9 out of 10 startup companies do fail. So if something, if you're going down that odds, it's just that you're bluntly stupid about things. And, and I think I'm that way about a lot of things. I, I'm on the autism spectrum. So a little bit of disregard for personal safety is kind of how I've always been. The second aspect is probably a little bit of privilege. I'm not from an extremely well-off family, but then I'm overly privileged in that I didn't have a college loan. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in the country. When you have a college loan and education loan and you do your education and then you're so forced into finding something so that you pay back your college loan, right? That's one beautiful thing that I'm always indebted to my parents that they could afford a college education for me. And once that's taken care of, uh, as long as you don't have immediate family problems or you need somebody's dependent on you, then I'm on my own. I'm okay with having just one or two meals a day and uh, not being able to buy a fancy uh, motorcycle or new clothes and things like that, which is how things were for three, almost three years. Just to be a little more candid about this, in college, I should drink a lot of beer. Once I graduated, I had to shift back to Old Mock because I could not afford beer. So... That's, that kind of lifestyle changes, it was just totally fine for me personally. And I think I would say, again, privilege is what uh, helped me with taking that better. Two to three years of no salary and I'm just going home and my parents were just decent enough to feed me. But I'm not sure a whole lot of uh, people in the country would be okay with some guy who just says he just leaves home in the morning and he comes back in the evening. We don't know what we do. I mean, my dad... He's a professor and he asked me at a point, so it's okay, you're doing what you're doing. But then like when somebody asked me what you're doing, what should I be telling them? I'm like, I, I don't know, just like tell them I'm doing some research or something. And then that, that was his thing. Everybody just believed I'm doing some research. And there was no research in whatever I did. So it was just like an easy answer. Yeah, so I, I would say these two things are the reason that helped me go down this path. And you spoke about the subject of loans. You have been raised in Manipal. So if you would look at the whole student community of Manipal, how many would be people who would be on loans? Manipal, probably not. The thing is, there are about 15 to 20 engineering colleges in a 40 kilometer radius around here. So those colleges are very different from Manipal. Manipal is seen as a privileged uh, university itself. I have no, I have no statistics to back what I'm saying, but I, I feel like a lot of people who do study in Manipal are relatively better off than a lot of other colleges and I see that and that's been reinforced when I started recruitment of engineers I I see a lot of people like Manipal is probably in the top 30 engineering colleges right now and a lot and I have about 18 engineers working with me 17 of them are not from Manipal University they're all from local uh, colleges and they're some of the sharpest people who just probably could not afford Manipal's fees and, and uh, I, I don't know what that says about anything, but that, that's the truth yeah. of it though. And coming back, following your dream, following your objective to convert it into a tangible reality, those two, three years which you've spent at home, you must 
have faced moments of complete dismay and probably situations where even some self-doubt and thinking that whether I'm doing the right thing or not, should I give it up? Should I follow something else? Were there such moments and how did you overcome them? Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I was considering a lot of alternatives at that point. I even attended a few interviews. Before I joined my engineering, I thought I would hopefully one day join Volvo. As an automobile engineer, I always looked up to Volvo as a wonderful brand that makes beautiful products. So about two years after starting the company, I had uh, sent my CV when I was in college. Two years after starting the company, they called me for an interview. So And I didn't want to take it up, but I just thought uh, things are not going too well. And it was probably a bout of uh, doubt, right? Self-doubt. So I did go to the interview and I had a very long conversation with the head of their logistics during the interview. And at the end of 45 minutes, the head of logistics just overly convinced me, this is not meant for you. You have to go back to Manipal. You have to set up a plant at some point. And that th- things like that, conversations like that probably are what kept me going. But, but yeah, I did certainly meet a lot of people from other line of work who I thought I, I had people I would look up to and I felt like this is the kind of work I want to do. And every time I talk to them, it would always, the bullet would always re- uh, reflect back to me. They would just end up reinforcing what I was already sort of unsure about. Yeah, the big break would would be the raising funds for the uh, development of Embolio itself. Because I don't think high tech is possible in India without strong support from the government, from government of India or state government. Guaranteed aids are the way to go about it. And, And the reason we are in healthcare is because that's India's focus. But I really think we need to do that with all other domains as well, like space and defense and all of these sectors which are not consumer oriented. I don't think I would be here unless government of India decided on throwing money, taxpayers' money in our direction and saying, try to make it work. If it doesn't work, it's okay. We will not put you in a debt trap. And that's the kind of faith I think we need in uh, younger technology entrepreneurs because Otherwise, we cannot build things. We cannot raise venture capital funds with just an idea or a proposal. I, I don't see that working. So I'm truly indebted to the government of India for not just the current administration, but the administrations before that. And like all of the people, the entire ecosystem who framed and designed the system that kind of helps us. Yeah. I'm just thinking about your Volvo interview for this. <laughs> if I was probably there in place of that head of logistics whom you spoke to, I would have tried to convince you, come on, we need you. <laughs> a lot of gratitude to people like him who actually prompted you and further inspired you in your journey. Yeah, he was a very sweet guy. We ended up, we, we had a similar conversation that we're having right now. So it, it was very heartwarming for me. After the interview, I caught a Volvo back home. And when I sat in it, I was not unhappy about not taking that job, right? So... A little bit of a philosophical question. Okay. It is said that desires are of three kinds. Okay. Selfish, unselfish, and selfless. So your desire to manufacture high quality products and create employment opportunities locally while continuing to provide value to healthcare partners. What level of these three desires do you have in that? I'm more of an Ayn Rand guy. I'm a big believer in objectivism and stoicism. So I would go with the first one. I think all of my selfless 
actions are also motivated by selfish thoughts my desire for creating employment for improving the economy my nationalism everything stems from selfishness itself it's about my people my country and my region right my economy i don't know i'm not sure if the number 2 and number 3 are uh, ever something that strikes my mind i think uh, a certain level of moral goodness is required but beyond that selfishness is a very good motivator for uh, betterment of society is what i believe i think i'm 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 a hippie capitalist that way and how come at your i don't want to say at your age but for not having better words how come at your age you are influenced by stoic i am not sure what started that but i think i this is very new for me i was more of an objectivism guy but perseverance and just yeah i had some time in, during the lockdown also and then this was the most important thing that kind of stuck with me after objectivism i just happened to make sense to me it it felt like this is like a good tool that works and it, it it's going to it, it keeps me in line i'm not completely religious after that i would say this is i mean everybody needs something right you need some tools to operate stoicism just happened to make the most sense to me i just read something about stoic the other day and i wanted to pull it out mm-hmm. to discuss that with you yeah so i will read this the stoics boil down the aspects of life that we can control as beginning and ending with our own thoughts gestures and responses beyond that particularly with respect to the thoughts and responses of others although we may influence we certainly cannot control or determine them the warning is clear the fallacy of control not only leads to inner turmoil it leads to finding fault with or blaming others ultimately destroys relationships the very thing needed for creating meaning and securing long term commitment to action does it make sense yeah it did strike some chords with me yes certainly the control aspect i think definitely is one of the reasons i took up stoicism i've always been a very vocal atheist who had a lot of problems i i was physically upset with a lot of things and just to give you a context right so right now going on and then you see the funeral of the cleric in up and it's all of these religious gatherings which are kind of leading to the second wave and then moving it ahead so it's causing so many problems and as a strident atheist it would actually in in another uh, couple of years ago it would actually really upset me and i would be very vocal about it over social media also and i've just completely stopped doing that and it's not even about upsetting it's not even about upsetting my friends and family who would obviously be sensitive to this right and and as i i was this guy who was overly insensitive to other people's uh, religious feelings just because i have no inclination and and stoicism has actually helped me realize that take to stop exerting so much control on things and there is it's it's an egotistic thing to do to try to fix people or better people all of those things i i feel like it's uh, stoicism has really helped me put the brakes on a little bit at least so uh, the control aspect definitely really helped i mean it really it's, it's very good with my job being a control freak is very good because i'm very attentive to all of the problems that my colleagues and peers and everybody has but but in personal life i think 
having a little bit of uh, distance is important and i was always finding that very difficult and i think socialism has helped me be a little it's i, I wouldn't say it's insensitive or just completely apathetic uh, that's the thing right stoics are kind of seen as a little bit uh, or seen to be apathetic a little bit which i don't think is true i think that moderation is the key and that's something i've always struggled with so i think socialism has really helped me with that yeah it, it goes on to say mayur the hardest part of applying the stoic dichotomy of control is recognizing how little really is in our control and choosing to let go of it in how we act to make the best of what is in our power and take the rest as it occurs the fallacy of control is so endemic it can be hard to recognize when we are falling into that trap harsh letting go is a huge problem for all entrepreneurs i think naturally to build something from scratch and uh, make it sustainable you need to have that resilience which kind of doesn't let you let go and stoicism kind of makes it sound counterintuitive with that it's it's a constant internal struggle for me to figure out what i need to let go and what i should not so uh, i i think that's one of the reasons why uh, i took up stoicism to understand that because yeah i was having a lot of uh, mental distress with just not letting go of anything so i'm in that process of trying to find that balance now and do you think that it helps you be more aware at work and in life generally i am aware i'm not sure if it's me aware or if i'm a little hyper aware in that am i just i i don't want to be operating on protocols at all times and that's the problem with any dogma or any any school of thought so i i, I don't want to fall into that trap either but but yeah a general sense of how i respond to issues how i respond to problems i think yeah that's changed with this mayur how do you and your co-founder make sure that your creative energies are channeled into solving real world problems and you are not getting digressed what are your interlocks for not deviating from this so real world problems as in within the enterprise or just the problems which you are trying to address as a company okay yeah so i think diversity is definitely the key in there i i first of all i believe that everybody should not do everything my co-founders and i were very different people and we respect that about each other i think that's our uh, strong suit so we don't try to intersect into each other's line of work we clearly define that this is what you're going to do this is what i'm going to do and if i think what you're doing is not a good enough job i will point it out to you but i will not step in to kind of mess it up and in that way i think we've done a fairly good job at kind of it it's not the ideal way to go about things uh, a little bit of that's not exactly the startup way but i think th- this is more of the corporate way and it doesn't work in small enterprises but i think it's worked out well for us in that we are very different people and we have different approaches to things and end of the day we meet up and we talk about what the results were we have a lot of very good advisors one of the challenges of being in healthcare healthcare market where wherein we are a technology enterprise full of technology guys is that it's very hard for us to clearly understand some of the subtleties and the nuances of the healthcare problems sometimes i do blindly trust my advisors they've always lived up to it so i um we have about three members on our board of advisors and at least once a month i'm running crying and running to one of them with a huge problem that i'm like this is not i i don't know what to do i'm just i just cannot move ahead so 
uh, maybe they will not help me with it directly but just conversing with them they will give me that perspective mayur i think behind you i see the embolio yeah yeah so can you briefly tell us in what ways is this product the first fetch technology in the world uh yeah so it, this is a portable medical grade refrigeration system so there's three aspects portable medical grade and refrigeration portable implying refrigeration and portable has never been a, at the same time you find beer coolers and wine chillers and stuff that you can uh, stuff in the car but it's always plugged into the car's power supply because refrigeration is a very inefficient process it's very hard to make a battery powered refrigeration system and medical grade meaning you need a very strict 4 degree celsius platform for beer or wine it's okay if it's 6 7 degrees 8 9 degrees it's a little warm it's a little cold it's okay as long as it feels good vaccines are very critical pharmaceuticals you cannot have that uh, play room so our design ensures that it maintains a strict 4 degree celsius platform for more than 12 hours and the system is very rugged for outdoor use so you can take vaccines blood culture serum sputum any biological that requires cold chain uh, even covid-19 specimens the nasal and throat swabs that you take for testing they require 2 to 8 degrees otherwise there's a huge chance that the sample will get degraded on its way to the lab and you will get a false negative case maintaining that 2 to 8 degrees has always been a challenge because the standard solution for this is using ice box this is what is done all over the world including india so you use frozen ice packs or gel packs and it does not maintain 2 to 8 degrees it usually ends up freezing goes to minus 7 minus 8 degrees and we've done validation studies where even covid-19 vaccines are being administered where they're completely subjected to minus 8 degrees and covid-19 both covishield and covaxin are very free sensitive so they need to be strictly maintained between 2 and 8 degrees if you freeze them they're going to become inefficacious and we end up administering them anyway on the other hand during summers the ice packs tend to melt and it goes beyond 8 degrees right so uh, a battery efficient system that will work outdoors in uh, extreme heat of one or in 10 12 degrees celsius in manipur northeast india where you use ice packs the temperature inside the boxes it will go to minus 15 degrees also so that it's been a very tricky challenge to get that for last mile delivery of vaccines and for that we uh, developed embolio right now and we've just started manufacturing this we are now an iso 13485 certified manufacturer of medical devices we're doing about 300 units per month right now and we are stepping it up to about 1500 units per month by july end. so that's the goal and uh, to ensure that every vaccine that that you and i are going to get will come in accountable systems and today as we speak what role is embolio playing for india in the covid fight uh in covid fight it's only northeast so far we want to we've been in talks with the ministry of health and family welfare they are interested they are very excited about the product the idea is not just for covid-19 vaccines they want to ensure everybody is immunized but moving ahead over a year or two when covid vaccines start slowly start phasing out they want to look at mission indradhanush and uh, uh, india's universal immunization program as well uh, where our product will be compatible all bcg polio mmr all of them require the same temperature india has had a very successful program with uip it's termed as one of the most successful public health interventions of all times so vaccination is wonderful vaccines work it's just how do we deliver it how do we ensure everybody gets efficacious vaccines is a challenge and i think we're on the right path to ensure that the ice boxes and all of these rudimentary systems are completely phased out and proven standardized technology is brought in place and when you are talking about scaling up your manufacturing from 300 to 1500 and possibly more 
Are you doing it in Manipal? How are you geared up for it? What challenges do you see? Yeah, we are setting it up in Manipal. So far, we've been doing it here itself. Just in the outskirts, we we locate, identified a facility right now with support from Manipal Group and Mahe and the entire ecosystem has come together. I mean, it's it's COVID nineteen, right? Everybody is in it, and yeah. it's just wonderful. I think it takes a nation to build a startup. Everybody is supporting us wholeheartedly to ensure that we put out maximum number of units so that efficacious vaccines reach each one of us. Yeah, so we are doing it in Manipal. Yes. And do you think fifteen hundred would be a good enough number? Don't you think it would be oh. much more at a point in time? Yeah, India needs about thirty thirty five thousand units. We will do fifteen hundred units per month here. We have a contract manufacturer who will support us for immediate COVID nineteen vaccine delivery. So they can do about five six thousand units per month. They've been manufacturing for Philips and GE and stuff, and they understand our design. They worked on the DFM aspects with us. So most likely we will be partnering with them for uh, government procurement. And the names Black Frog and Involio, where do they come from? Black Frog has a little bit of a story. Okay. So I'm a wildlife lover. I really believe in the natural biodiversity. And, and and protecting it and we've just started designing our sustainability policies so black frog is actually the common name for a microhylid frog called melanobatricus indicus so this is a frog indigenous to our region in our part of the western ghats here which is which was on the verge of extinction and now it's back to safe again and 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 that's as a tribute to that right on its survival and its resilience we named the company black frog and embolio is greek for vaccines all right interesting and are there any other humanitarian challenges which are on your radar ah uh, so public health is definitely what we want to be in we've been discussing internally but nothing specific as of now beyond this this is, itself is a huge challenge ahead of us we are we've just uh, made the product and we just just started manufacturing i think the journey is still ahead of us but but moving ahead I, like i said i would very much want to work in i'm not too thrilled about making sunglasses or smart watches for people i want to focus on space or defense or anything even, even if i fail it's fine i just want to take up a bigger challenge so that i can spend a couple of years on the r&d itself so that i think that's more exciting for me and today for embolio do you have in terms of interest global interest do you have more interest from overseas or you have more interest from india yeah we are in talks with a few african countries and the middle east uh, and southeast asia as well uh, india is a little bit of a challenge we are struggling with oxygen supplies and ventilators and things like that so vaccination is going to come beyond that so hmm. uh, uh, most of our supplies in india are going to the private sector itself right now the okay. private sector is procuring it and pro- providing it to government agencies uh, so with large volume procurement from the government i i think there's a little bit of hesitation there so our focus will remain remain the export market itself hmm. i understand somewhere i read probably on your whatsapp i think you jump off a cliff and assemble a plane on the way down <laughs> talk to us on this yeah so this is probably a little bit about not having a plan in place right and something i've learned over the last 5 years is that there's no perfect product and and as engineers we have that bias i constantly have a fight with my engineers every once in two weeks because they don't want to release anything out a new variant or a new design because they're always hesitant about what if this doesn't work that doesn't work and something i've learned is that people are very forgiving 
especially to a new company they're very forgiving and and i want to put something out and test it out and get feedback i i don't believe in creating the most perfect product and then waiting for it i believe in making something that works and solves the problem immediately and let's just go for it right now and i think that's where i differ from the rest of my team so yeah that's where that comes from <laughs> all right i understand do you think is there anything else where where you think this medium could be helpful anything else you would like to share yeah certainly i think yeah i would definitely want to create a little bit of awareness on vaccines specifically i i see it all around me with the covid 19 vaccine even being available the kind of hesitation and the doubt in science is a little alarming it's it i would say india is much better than us and a whole lot of other places where conspiracy theory is just taking over but even in india you see a lot of doubts on not just the efficacy but adverse effect and small aefi after adverse effect following immunization right so i think this is something immunization vaccines work i i i think it's about time we start trusting real science there there's always going to be one in 40000 flu or a rash then there's a one in million chance that the airplane you're sitting in could not land as well so it's just we have to look at the bigger picture here we ha- everybody should get immunized herd immunity is what is the need of the hour if we have to get a, get ahead of this pandemic I, i i truly do believe immunization is the way to go about it and i strongly hope that everybody wholeheartedly gets the vaccine and ensures that even their loved ones get it thank you mayor i think uh, every medium and every chance to spread this message is helpful yeah. mayor before i close i want to tell you something which i read and it said that chance favors the individualized action fortuitous events occur when you behave in ways that are highly distinctive of you as a person and i see when you shared your story with me that going to the coach factory and sitting beside the driver and wondering what is inside that box and then choosing that is an individualized action choosing to do automobile engineering and dreaming of working with volvo i think that chance has really favored your individualized actions to bring envolio to the world and make vaccines last mile delivery absolutely perfect thank you thank you so much for saying that harsh i yeah i i, I do agree a lot of smaller events like this have come together to get me to this point of staying resilient and building this product and yeah i'm just truly hoping that we were able to ensure that vaccine wastage is minimized and and in a way just contribute to ensuring the country and our people get ahead of this pandemic thank you so much mayor it was lovely to have you over and after our podcast i'm going to just give a tinkle to ajinkya and thank him also for bringing us together and i hope that ajinkya and you can work together on this manipal opportunity also yes certainly yes we're very close friends anyway so yes absolutely absolutely i think it's such a wonderful thing to do in manipal certainly yes uh, i will i will take this up with ajinkya thank you so much harsh thank you for doing this yes. this is very nice and heartwarming for me to just go through go through some of the things from my childhood and college and you made my weekend so thank you so much sir thank, thank you, you so much mayo thank you thank you regards thank you bye bye bye, bye. bye.